Welcome to Talking Tax, a Bloomberg Tax podcast. In this series, we talk to attorneys, accountants, and other tax professionals about the latest developments in the world of tax. I'm your host, Andrea Ben-Yosef, and we're excited that you're here with us today. Kate Krauss joins me today to talk about the final partnership audit regulations. Kate recently joined Alan Matkins as a tax partner in the firm's Los Angeles office. Alan Matkins is a full-service law firm that serves clients in a variety of industries, including financial institutions, investment management, commercial real estate investors and developers, and global technology companies. So, Kate, how are you today? Good, thanks. So let's start with what the background is for these partnership audit regs. About two and a half years ago, in in November 2015, uh, Congress enacted new rules for adjustments to to, uh, partnership tax items. And uh, Congress did this because it had been very difficult for the IRS to audit partnerships. And uh, Congress was trying to make it easier. So, um, So we got new legislation. In November 2015, and um, these give us new rules on how adjustments are treated, and uh, some procedural rules on um, the new partnership representative and the powers of the partnership representative uh, in the in a proceeding. And we've had many rounds of guidance uh, since that point. The statute's been amended twice. We've had um, many rounds of proposed regulations, temporary regulations, and final regulations. Um, because it, it, this is a really a, a dramatic shift in how partnerships are audited. Uh, so there's a lot of work to do uh, to, to build these, this new regime out. And most recently, uh, we got two rounds of uh, regulations proposed, uh, or actually one is final, uh, in August. One, it relates to uh, the partnership representative. So we now have final regulations that address uh, issues relating to the new partnership representative. And then we also got a, a new round of proposed regulations relating to many other issues. And um, this new round of proposed regulations is uh, revising previously proposed regulations uh, to take into account some statutory amendments that were made in March 2018. Okay, thank you. Is, as you said, it's been a long road, and sometimes it's hard to keep straight what happened when. So which rules should practitioners be following now? The, the statute is in effect now. Uh, the statute generally applies to partnership tax years that begin after 2017. And it's possible for a partnership to elect to apply these rules to tax years that begin after November 2nd, 2015, that was the date the statute was enacted. Um, so, so the new regime generally applies uh, to the current tax year if you're on a calendar year. Um, the, the final regulations that have been issued um, apply to tax years that are subject to these new rules. So they would apply to the current tax year and if you elect to apply the, the rules early, they would apply to these earlier years as well. And then uh, the the new proposed regulations are proposed to be effective uh, as soon as the audit rules themselves are effective, which is 
now. So basically, it's time to comply as of now. We need some rules that apply right now. And, and the, because the statute applies right now, TEFRA doesn't exist. TEFRA does not apply to the current year. And so um, we, need, we need to know something about what we're doing with adjustments for the current tax year. And so uh, the, the regulations that are um, just even proposed are, are likely to be finalized in pretty much the same form um, and, and apply, at, you know, for the current tax year. Okay, so let's start first with the thing that I think gets the most interest is a partnership representatives. So what is the rule now under the new final regulations for partnership representatives? Under the new partnership audit rules, uh, we, we have a centralized proceeding when there's an audit. So, so the IRS won't be auditing each partner separately. The IRS will just be auditing the partnership generally. And the IRS wants to talk to only one person in this proceeding. It doesn't want to have to talk to all of the partners um, and the partners of the upper tier partners. So, so now the one person the IRS will be talking with is, is the partnership representative. And this person has the power to find everyone, um, both the partnership and the historic partners and the current partners. And the uh, final regulations that were issued in, in August 2018 mm-hmm. uh, address uh, a number of issues relating to the partnership representative and how they're, they're designated, um, how they may resign, how the partnership may revoke uh, that designation, uh, who is eligible. So, so the, the final regulations um, cover a lot of these issues uh, for the partnership representative. What has changed and what has not changed about partnership representatives? So under the the previously proposed regulations on the partnership representative, um, uh, a partnership would generally designate the partnership representative on the tax return for the year at issue. And then, um, then the partnership would be stuck with that person uh, for a while. Uh, so it would be uh, pretty uh, common for a partnership to designate a, a current partner or an employee of the partnership as its partnership representative. But that person might leave the partnership, and that might be an adversarial relationship at that point. And in the uh, proposed regulations, the partnership would be stuck with that person until an audit began or uh, until the partnership filed an administrative adjustment request, which is effectively an amended return. But um, but if you weren't going to amend your your partnership return, you had to wait until the IRS began an audit, and then you had to wait 30 more days, and then uh, then your partnership representative could be changed. So in the meantime, the partnership representative could be making decisions you might not like. That's right. Uh, and uh, so the IRS got a lot and the Treasury got a lot of pushback on this um, because usually if if someone is, is leaving the organization, you want to have a clean break and you don't want to give them 30 days to um, make binding decisions on how the partnership and the partners are all treated. That's understandable. Yeah. 
So, so the IRS understood that this is a problem, and so the final regulations that we just got um, make uh, an improvement to to this. Um, so, under the final regulations, the partnership still has to wait until the audit has begun. So, uh, when the person uh, leaves the partnership or is no longer a partner. That, that is not a time when you're allowed to change your partnership representative. You still have to wait for the audit to begin. But the, uh, the final regulations provide that uh, when the audit begins, the IRS will send a notice, notice of selection for examination to the partnership. And at that point, the partnership will be able to revoke the status of its partnership representative and designate a new partnership representative. And that rev revocation will be effective immediately. So, so the, can't, sorry, so the new partnership, so the old partnership representative won't be able to go before the IRS and do anything. That's right. The old partnership representative will not get the initial notice that an audit has begun. That notice will go only to the partnership. And at that point, the partnership can say, hey, we don't want this person anymore. That person is no longer um, authorized to speak on behalf of everyone. We want someone else instead. And, um, and that will have effect as soon as the IRS receives that revocation notice. And did the same thing apply if a partnership re representative dies or becomes incarcerated? That's right. So... Um, so uh, the, if your partnership representative dies, uh, that does not automatically terminate the status of the partnership representative. The, that's not um, a time when the partnership is allowed to change the designation of its partnership representative. Instead, the, the partnership needs to wait for the audit to begin. And at that point, the partnership can designate someone new. Okay, and same if they unfortunately go to jail. That that's right. And here, um, under the proposed regulations, uh, uh, being uh, you know dying or being incarcerated were grounds for the, the IRS to determine that um, the person wasn't eligible to be a partnership. Here, actually, uh, the IRS's position is um, the, the IRS is not in the best position to decide who should represent everyone. Um, it's really the partnership. Um, decision to make. And, and if the partners in the partnership want uh, someone who's incarcerated to be their partnership representative, they have the freedom to choose that person. So, um, so that person won't be automatically disqualified. Um, there, there's a question of whether that person has a, a substantial presence um, because if that person's not able to meet in person with the IRS, that person won't be able to serve, but um, I, you know, different different prisons have different rules, so it might be possible for someone who's incarcerated to continue to be the partnership representative. So I and, guess that's uh, a, if, I guess that's a decision for the partnership to make, right? It, that's a decision, you know, it, you know, assuming that the person is actually able to to be meeting with the, the IRS. That person may continue to be the partnership representative and. If the partnership wants to change its partnership representative, it needs to wait for the audit to begin, and then it will get the initial notice that an audit has begun, at, and at that point, it can revoke the designation 
and uh, designate a new person as the partnership representative. Now, what happens if the partnership representative resigns? That's another uh, issue that got a lot of pushback in the proposed regulations. So um, in the previously proposed regulations, when a partnership representative resigned, it had the power to designate its successor. So um, so you could have one partnership uh, resign and, and pick someone else. And um, a lot of people thought that this isn't appropriate. It really should be the partnership that has the power to decide who this successor is. And so uh, the, the, the government um, thinks that, that that makes sense. And so under the final regulations that we got in August, uh, the partnership itself is what designates the new partnership representative, not the resigning representative. Again, that seems to make sense. So does the partnership representative have to be an individual or can it be an entity? Yeah, that's a, another uh, interesting question. Uh, technically, the partnership representative may be an entity. And the final regulations uh, make explicit that they, this entity might be a disregarded entity under federal income tax rules. Uh, that's allowed. And it's also possible uh, for uh, the partnership representative to be the partnership itself. Uh, that's another entity. Um, so, so there's no prohibition on the entities being the partnership representative. The problem is um, the IRS finds it very confusing when you have an entity as the representative because uh, they want to know like who's the human being that that they're going to be talking to. And under TEFRA, they spent a lot of time trying to figure out who had authority under state law to speak or act on behalf of an entity. So under these uh, new rules and under our final regulations, it's, it's possible still to designate an entity. But if you do, the partnership, and, and I mean the partnership, not the partnership representative, the partnership itself has to designate a specific individual who will be the only person authorized to act on behalf of the partnership representative. So does it ever make sense to designate an entity as a partnership representative? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to see why you would do that or what, what benefit you would get by uh, designating an entity if ultimately you have to designate an individual as well. Um, the, the, an entity can't act. On its own, you're going to have to designate uh, an individual anyway. The This person, um, which is called the designated individual, is appointed by the partnership, not by the partnership representative. It is the partnership that can revoke that designation of the uh, individual. Uh, if you have an entity, both the um, entity and the designated individual have to have a substantial presence. In, uh, in the United States, um, if the designated individual resigns, that will automatically terminate the designation of the entity as a partnership representative. So um, it, it's not really clear why why that's even built in, and it would generally be easier for everyone if you select. Uh, an individual, a human being in the first place as your partnership representative, instead of having this extra layer 
where you have this entity that really is effectively powerless and sitting on the sidelines, but um, it, it brings in a bunch of complicated machinery that just ends up not being ineffective and, and not doing anything. All right. Well, thank you, Kate, for all that information on partnership representatives. And as you mentioned, this is an ongoing thing that people are learning to deal with. And that in part two of our podcast, we're going to talk about the statutory amendments in March and how that changed the regime. So please join us then. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for joining us today on Talking Tax. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloomberg Tax and subscribe to our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Tune in next time for more analysis on the newest tax issues. From the nation's capital, I'm Andrea Benyosef.